0: It going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human podcast. This is episode 203 and I sat down with Tony Kim. He and his fiance Lauren Holiday actually both came over a couple months back, interviewed them on the same evening, but I decided to split the conversations up. So Lauren was last week and this week is Tony with episode 203. I'm fascinated by couples who both have their, you know, everybody brings their own story to the table. We've all experienced our own thing, had our own traumas and our own triumphs, and then we come together and suddenly there's this other person that's had their triumphs and traumas, and we figure out how to make it all work out. So what I've really enjoyed about talking with Lauren and Tony is to hear their individual stories which are both pretty intense at times, and triumphant as well. And then here as they come together, uh, their perceptions of that as well. I don't know, I dug it. I think it's really interesting. Um, some pretty crazy times at hand for all of us. I hope everybody is hanging in there. I know it's really weird and we're all just trying to get through it as best we can. But I personally am doing all right, I think. Uh, I'm practicing social distancing, I'm trying to stay healthy with what I eat, I'm going for walks nearly every day, and if I see anybody out on the street, my roommate and I, you know, we avoid other people, but, you know, friendly, hello, how are you, but from six to ten feet away, and trying to, trying to really keep that focus of health, because I tell you what, I've had a couple moments where I was very overwhelmed with all of it, and got extremely emotional, had to sort of tuck myself away and just feel all the things I was feeling and then come out the other side. It's a scary time. I think the unknown is terrifying, right? We can't, it's a, firstly, we can't see it. Secondly, we don't know when this is all going to be over. Thirdly, I think some people don't take it as seriously as others. And so that prolongs everything. There's just a lot going on financially there's stuff going on Uh, emotionally, physically, there's, there's a lot. And even, I think, whether or not we realize that we are stressed out, let's just say we handle stressful situations pretty well on average. I do. I handle stressful stuff pretty decently, I think. And then I have breaking points like anybody else. But we don't really know how our bodies are dealing with this stuff right now we're i woke up last night i woke myself up because i was clenching my teeth so hard so i'm internalizing my stress clearly and it's just something to be aware of that we're functioning in society the best we can and paying attention to the rules and trying to do what's right and what's best but there is also the quiet unknown that uh is hard on our bodies and that that's something to be aware of and to to be nurturing and self-care about uh with ourselves I think. I said something the other day to someone uh over the facetimes. The interesting thing is that we've spent the last decade really um super out in the world right super social and next to each other and touching on the subways or whatever and yet being so disconnected and isolated within our devices and things and and now the irony is we cannot touch others we can't be within x amount of space uh from other people and there's been so much the zooming and the facetiming and the reaching out and the calling and the texting are you okay how are you feeling how's everybody doing And that's really... It's this weird irony. I know that we're going to get through this. um, And it's going to look really different on the other side of it, I think. Um, And that's scary and unknown. But we are... Look for the good. There are so many people doing so many lovely things for each other. There's free concerts online. Uh, Comedians are doing free stand-up shows. Uh, We're all connecting over things like... That show, which I still haven't seen yet, that is Is it Tiger King? I think that's what it's called. I have to watch it still. Um, you know, we're reaching out to each other. We're dropping off groceries to the people who can't maybe access their food. We're making sure that old people and uh, people with disabilities or people who are on food stamps, get to the front of the line when it comes to the groceries. And I know the, the initial reaction was the hoarding and the panic, but I think that's starting to subside now. That lizard brain that we have that freaks out and like, okay, how do I protect myself? It, we're starting to come out of that and see, how can I be of service to my fellow human? And that's a really beautiful thing to see. Um, focus on the good. There's, really, there's a lot of good going on. I'm trying to post stuff on my Hey Human podcast uh, Facebook page of anything I see that's really wonderful. And to be honest, I'm just going to all the good news sites that I can find that tanks good news and um, various Yahoo news groups that are good news and that kind of thing and taking those and sticking them on there because we need good news. Boy, do we need it. Anyway, point is, uh, I'm thinking of you and I hope you're okay. And if you need somebody to chat with, please reach out. Uh, email me, Susan, at com. Maybe we can Zoom or FaceTime or something uh, or Skype or whatever. You're not alone is the big the big thing I'm trying to say. You're not alone. And hang in there and we'll get through this. Again, uh, as usual, my links page on heyhumanpodcast.com is going to have information from every episode I do, so definitely check that out. Uh, SusanRuth.com, if you want to know what's going on in my life, which right now is literally nothing is going on in my life, <laughs> because I'm at home all the time. Uh, but my my roommate and I keep threatening to make funny videos and stuff, so word on the street that might be happening we'll see if that that happens Uh, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes if you have a chance or wherever you listen to your podcasts and again email me susanheyhumanpodcast.com I will answer Uh, social media you know the drill Hey Human Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram and Susan Ruthism at Facebook Instagram and Twitter Uh, thank you to those of you who have recently donated to Hey Human Podcast it is extraordinarily generous And very much appreciated. I could not do this without that. So thank you. In fact, uh, yeah, well, anyway, thank you. Love you. I appreciate it so much. I do want to mention uh, that this episode has some trigger warning stuff. Tony gets... Uh, detailed in a couple places about some child abuse stuff and some abuse that he saw. And also there's a conversation that we have about Midway that has got some not safe for work stuff. But since most of us are working from home at this point, maybe that's okay because you're your own boss at this moment. I'm not sure. But I just want to get it out there and let you know that those things do take place in this episode. Yeah, that's about it. Take care of each other. Wash your hands, I know everybody says that, but still good advice. Uh, maintain social distance, but uh, you can still be emotionally right there. <laughs> One inch apart with emotional distance, six feet apart with actual distance. <laughs> so, all right, that's my motto. Love you guys, thank you for listening, and here we go. Hi Tony. Hi, hey, Susan. Welcome to Hey Human. Thank you thanks for being here
1: I appreciate you having me
0: it's nice to see you
1: ah, it's good to see you too.
0: I like your shirt thanks it uh makes your skin tone pop
1: that's what I feel about pink pink I think yeah it, think it I uh, think it goes really good on my skin
0: yeah it looks good thanks. yeah
1: I handmade it it's a tricky what do you mean I made it with with with, with fingernail shavings and <laughs>
0: No. And hair.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Ironically. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah.
0: That's where your hair went.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, uh, hello. You and I met at uh, the Second City Christmas party, Mm -hmm. the holiday shindig. And you were so kind because I didn't, I went, I didn't know, you know, I I went by myself. I didn't know if my friends were going to, that I have from Second City were going to be there, you know, if I would run into them or not. And we were walking in at the same time, pretty much, you know, and you were so nice to me.
1: Yeah, we kind of hit it off. Yeah,
0: and I just, I was really touched by that. Um, You bought me a drink and it cracked me up because you said, I'm not hitting on you, I'm just buying you a drink. (laughs) I thought, well, that's refreshing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to... uh, wouldn't know how to hit on a girl anymore anyway
0: well i just it was just a sweet thing so um i just got done interviewing your beautiful fiance lauren
1: cool and Wasn't
0: it fun? was it was awesome and now it's your turn
1: do we stop at like when we meet is that what we're doing
0: no we're going we're this is the tony hour we're gonna okay, talk cool. about you from from the from the beginning cool yeah the booming god voice in mm. the beginning in there the was beginning. tony where were you we born
1: Key West, Florida.
0: Oh, festive. Thanks. I love Key West.
1: I was, uh, I spent a long time there. I think we moved when we were like 11 months old, when I was 11 months old.
0: Okay. So
1: I had a great time. Like, yeah. Surfing and fishing. Partying. And, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I was a really big partier. Yeah. It's you're so close to Cuba. So.
0: I'm sure. Young. What, where did you move to at 11 months old? Hawaii. Oh.
1: I was, went to Hawaii, and that was really cool. I became a master teacher, and we moved out of Hawaii when I was five. <laughs> so uh, I picked up a lot there. So now
0: these yeah. are warm climates with lots of palm mm-hmm. trees. Was there military parents? Why were you moving and around like this? My was,
1: dad uh, was Navy.
0: Oh, okay. He
1: was a Navy guy.
0: Sure, that makes sense.
1: And then, uh, then at five, we moved to San Diego. So I think the, uh, the commonality is palm trees and water and water.
0: Lots sure. Of water. Yeah. I'm going to be this a little quiet, uh, closer cause you're kind of quiet. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, how old are you in San Diego? 11?
1: When I first moved there? Yeah. Five.
0: Oh wait, I thought you were in Hawaii at five.
1: I was. Yeah. When I, uh, when I turned five, I moved to San Diego.
0: Oh, I see. So
1: by the time I was five, I had already lived in three States.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: And they're all tropical
0: world traveler. All right, let's go from there then. Five years old. Cool. Yeah. Mom and dad together? Not together? They
1: were together at this point. Um, They officially got a divorce, I believe, in 89.
0: And you are how old when that happens? 10. Okay. Mm
1: 10. Yeah, I think so. Um, Do you
0: remember that much?
1: And in San Diego? Yes, I remember it all very vividly. And in San Diego... Uh, we had moved around a lot within San Diego. Um, we were in like in in Navy housing for a couple years, and then we went. And then my my dad bought a house in southern part of San Diego, right next to the border. Mm. And then then we had a nine month duty station in Virginia. And then when we moved back, he sold the house and we moved back into Navy housing in a different neighborhood. Uh, yeah. And Great. then mm. and then the last year before the divorce, we had moved into a rental home in Mir
0: Close family, not close. Obviously your parents were divorcing soon, but when you when they were together, was it a close family?
1: I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think so. Um they, uh I mean, we did things, but it was a very, like, <clears throat> I don't know how to say it. Like, all of our food was boxed foods, and we only went to vacations in basically Las Vegas and Disneyland a lot.
0: Did you siblings? Do you? S-
1: yeah, I had two brothers. So it was a very, I guess, like. I don't know, manufactured kind of familiness because my dad was also in the navy so he was gone a lot as mm-hmm. well
0: mm-hmm. Where are you so in the birth order of the brothers and sisters i or?
1: was the youngest okay so two brothers two brothers and they're both half brothers they have a different father mm-hmm. so um they were 10 years older than me so i wasn't very close with them either and my mother had a lot of mental issues so we weren't very close.
0: You and your mother. Yeah. What were her issues?
1: Uh, well, when she had passed away um, a few years ago, she was diagnosed with something called schizoaffectoid, which was like an extreme form of schizophrenia, I believe.
0: Schizophrenia meaning she heard voices and things.
1: She talked to herself a lot and to other things. That's all I knew because was I was she violent. Yes, she was extremely violent
0: toward you or in general. All Both. All, okay. Yeah. Is that um, why the divorce happened
1: or Yeah, I think so. Um I think that's largely all of it. Mm. Cuz she, she we we were all very abused. She uh
0: by her or both by parents. Okay.
1: Well, sometimes um uh my dad would beat my older brothers under direction of her. So, it was kind mm. of a weird thing. Yeah.
0: And at nine, eight, seven, ten, are you you're, how are you coping with this?
1: I played a lot of video games and read a lot of books. played with my toys. Um, one thing my my father <clears throat> imparted into me very well, I guess I don't know, was the importance of school. So I focused on school a lot cartoons.
0: What happened when they got divorced
1: that was a really messy time because my mother since she had come to America from Korea
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, had never had never had a job she had been impregnated when she was 6, seventeen something like that in Korea during the 60s which was very backwater back then to my belief um, And then brought over by her first husband, and then he left her, and I guess that's where she kind of fell fell apart a little bit, Um, also because he he had raped her. So, that kind of...
0: As a husband, he had raped her, or before they got... Or that's how she got Before...
1: This is what my aunt told me. So, he had raped her when she was a child, or not child, but Teenager. teenager, 17... And she got pregnant, and then they got married because of Oof. a family arrangement in order to save the family honor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he brought her to America, and then uh, three months after she gave birth to the oldest brother, she was pregnant again with my second brother. So usually that sort of arrangement isn't... Um, Voluntary. People aren't pregnant right after they give birth, usually. So, um, that yeah.
0: It's been a really weird relationship then with your older siblings and your mom.
1: I was not very close with my oldest brother at all. My middle brother, we, we got along really well.
0: Hmm. Still?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty good guy.
0: Okay. So when. Your parents get divorced, you're 10, and things hit the fan because your mom hasn't the coping skills?
1: Yeah, so she didn't know what she was going to do. She completely fell apart. She, My my dad basically paid six months' rent on the house that we were in and gave her, like, $1,000 and said, Bye, I'm, le- I'm living with my girlfriend now. And... You know, and of course, now knowing, even in the messed up situation it is, but, um, you know, if, if they had gone to court over this, there would probably have been alimony. But that wouldn't have really taken care of her. And I don't know if a dude should pay alimony for being beaten for 10 years, you know, regardless of her situation. So it's a really delicate balance as far as trying to figure out the morality of who deserves what, when, where, and why.
0: So your your dad beat her.
1: No, no, your, she beat him.
0: She beat him. Yeah. That's rare,
1: huh? Yeah, super, super, super rare. Especially in the eighties. Mm. Like, you know, I'm probably the only one. That's it. The only one what? Whose <laughs> mom beat everybody oh. instead of the, yeah, the instead around. of the dad abusing everyone? Yeah, I'm sure yeah. they're
0: out there. You're probably not the only one. No,
1: there. no, I'm gonna claim it now. I'm <laughs> yeah probably the not the only one but it's very yes. it's a rare situation and to but be honest but your dad
0: left you that yes
1: I haven't heard anyone else with that
0: but your your dad was willing to leave you behind with your mother he yes didn't, oof
1: yeah that was that was nuts so she kinda she kinda lost her uh the last bits of sanity that she had left and um and really got very abusive from there and then uh
0: was it physical, mental, and sexual? Was it just? No, no, I mean, just
1: it? physical. Mm-hmm. Really, just physical. Because mentally, she wasn't really there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was. Yeah, it was just. It was just physical abuse.
0: Mm-hmm. We should probably shouldn't say just. It's yeah. I said just, and I'm thinking that's probably not the right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's really It's like I it, got
1: off easy. Yeah,
0: it's intense. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's. Oh, I'm clinking of my eyes. No, that's Sorry. fine. No, no, that's what you get for giving me ice.
0: Ice water is comes with its price.
1: Um. So yeah, that uh, she, during our last few months, she was very, very abusive during that time. And I mean, she, the abuse level was was really extreme, even on like a lot of story levels. How do you mean? Um. Like one day when I woke up. Uh, I was like six or seven years old and I woke up on a Saturday morning and I was just going to go get up and watch cartoons and pour a bowl of cereal. So I got up and I go to the kitchen and my mom is standing over my dad with a knife and he's sitting at a table, at the kitchen table, um, with his hand splayed out, uh, just like spread out on a cutting board and her, her hand with the knife was over it and... Uh, His pants were down to his ankles and eight clothesline clips, wooden clothesline clips were attached to his dick and his balls all over the place, like in different spots, you know, and he's crying and she's looking very nuts. And like, so that's the morning picture I woke up to. Holy shit. And that sort of situation was pretty common. I mean, so... so
0: she was a sexual sadist.
1: No, because honestly, that has... I don't know what... Well, I, don't, I mean, I have no fucking idea what that was about. No idea. But it was definitely nothing sexual. It was nothing sexual. Uh, it was more about... Um, uh, putting his manhood, or his manliness, or something, his
2: maleness,
1: mm. uh, under pain or pressure.
0: Is your dad Korean?
1: No, he was white.
0: Is he still alive?
1: Yeah, I think so. Oh. I haven't talked to him... In eighteen years, mm. so um, yeah, it was—it's was definitely nothing sexual, you know. That was this is the only time that ever happened, so that's good. <laughs> it was a really weird situation.
0: Did you get your cereal?
1: <laughs> no, I—I I had. Uh, he begged me to remove the clothesline clips from him because he wasn't allowed to, so I did. And then I went back to bed.
0: Whoa. That's out of a crazy-ass movie or something, you know? Yeah.
1: It was some, some... You know, I think it's normal.
0: I'm curious. When you <laughs> would go to school and hang out with your friends at school and things, and this is your normal, and their normal is...
1: Well, since it was my normal, it wasn't anything that I brought up to my friends.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: we never talked about our parents.
0: How did you self-soothe through all this stuff? How did you keep from going crazy?
1: I'm sure I did a little bit, mm. and especially in my teenage years, I did a lot of stupid shit. But
0: like drugs,
1: yeah, drugs and, and petty theft and being a bully, stuff like that. Right. So it it uh, it's
0: logical that you would be a bully, I, because you were bullied, obviously. There's somewhere some something has to give with all that.
1: Yeah. I mean I was a good sweet violence. kid, but uh in the end I you know, I didn't know um I don't know. Is as, as as my hormones turned on in my teen years <laughs> um I found uh anger but I very much was just looking for peace. So I just wanted to do my thing and be left alone. I was bullied a lot in school when I first, uh, like pre pre 14 years old.
0: Were you taken away from your parents, from your mom after the divorce?
1: At 10, when um, during a beating, my middle brother who had moved away was alerted by my oldest brother that this was a particularly crazy beating, so he called CPS, mm. and he had he he was 18. He was moved out um, to live with his girlfriend, so they came, checked me for bruises, found a bunch of bruises, and then uh, also the power was off in the house, um, so he they just kind of took it off from there.
0: Yeah, well, what happens next?
1: And well, then they took me to a holding facility, which is um, a place where they put newly entered foster kids. Mm. And it's kind of like a clinical environment, you know, a big room with lots of beds, orphanage type thing.
0: You must have been terrified.
1: I was very relieved. Oh, okay. I was very relieved. It was definitely more um, relief than anything else. I started making friends immediately, in the, in the facility. Um, yeah, hmm. it was it was a big relief.
0: Mm-hmm. How long were you in foster care?
1: From ten to seventeen. Well.
0: Oh, a long time.
1: Al- almost eighteen.
0: And what was that experience like?
1: Uh. Most of I don't know it was up and down, like as I remember each home.
0: Let's start with the first one.
1: The first home was like two months long. It was a short-term home. And it was a very old couple. And they wanted me to call them grandma and grandpa, which I was very uncomfortable with and believe in calling people I don't know endearing names. And I probably couldn't explain it so eloquently when I was 10. But now I realize why. I was like just call me grandma and grandpa. I was like, I don't know you. I don't want to call you anything other than what your names are. Um, <clears throat> that was, they were nice though. It was a nice place. Uh, kids there were nice and
0: how many other kids?
1: Two. Um, but it was just all short term. So I was a very very frightened child as far as getting in trouble. I didn't want to like get in trouble for anything. Um, I remember once I broke one of their dishes, and uh, I swept all of the broken glass underneath their cabinets where the toe kick is. And I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, that's so stupid. Who couldn't find that? <laughs> but uh, the
0: logic of a ten year old, though.
1: Yeah, it was like if they can't see it, it must not exist, kind of thing. Um, so I was really scared of being in trouble, and they were really nice about it. And then, uh, my middle brother, he ended up going to court and getting custody of me. So, uh, I moved in with him.
0: Were you excited for that or?
1: Yeah, that was really cool. And looking back on it, I mean, like that's such a brave thing to do for an 18 year old. I mean, um, it's just really neat of him to try and do that. Um. So, but I ended up, I was living with him for like two months, got me enrolled in school and everything. And he was renting a room from, he was working at McDonald's at the time, uh, just as like a drive-thru guy or something. And uh, he was renting a room and I slept with him in that room. And then um, about a month or two later, my father... Uh, asked if I wanted to go on a cross country trip with him and his girlfriend and their daughter, and we did. And when we came back, found out that he was arrested.
0: He who your brother? My brother.
1: Uh, for so for stealing a CD player um, at a store. He was he was really into um, little things like that. So um, I went with my dad back to his girlfriend's house. And I was there like two nights, and he's like, hey, um, we're going to put you back in foster care. And I was like, it was very, very sad. Whoa. I didn't get along very well with her daughter, his girlfriend's daughter. Okay. And it really wasn't that I didn't, I mean, it's not like I didn't get along with her. Um, I liked her. She didn't like me.
0: Mm. She didn't want I the guess attention. I, I guess I didn't, like,
1: I didn't like her, too, in some parts. <laughs> that that road trip was really rough it was kind of rough not really rough but it was kind of rough like um, we went to this amusement park in Virginia um, and ride roller coasters and stuff and I always liked that right because I was saying we went to like Disneyland a few times and, and things and so my dad liked to ride roller coasters and we did that and when we were there she was too afraid to ride roller coasters she didn't want to ride any of them and her mom didn't want to ride any roller coasters. So my dad decided not to ride any roller coasters. So he went on so I went on all these roller coasters by myself, 10 years old, who just came out of the foster care situation, and here I am just riding roller coasters by myself.
0: Sounds like your father enjoyed being around women that were not very great.
1: Um she's an okay woman. She that, that's a uh,
0: whole other ball of wax
1: yeah i mean yeah <laughs> yeah there's a whole different situation sure so um yeah because i can't judge someone because they don't ride roller coasters no
0: i know but but it's just interesting if so- if you're if you're with somebody that has a child and that child is there you would encourage them to go spend time with that child not send the child off by himself while you you know what i mean Yeah. yeah
1: maybe yeah
0: I'm not going to give her a pass on that
1: one.
0: Um, I'm allowed, because yeah, I'm an observer. Totally, totally. <laughs> uh,
1: so we went to... Um, no, because she was there for me, kind of, during my last few months with my mother. Like, it was, she was someone to call. So, you know. Did they know.
0: put your mom in jail when they took you away? What did they do with her?
1: They left her in that house. And then after... A month or two, she was evicted, and then she was homeless.
0: How long was she homeless for?
1: 17 years.
0: Wow. Did you interact with her throughout that time?
1: Once, two months, during when I was living with my brother during that time. Mm. Um, that was it. So it was about three, four months after I went into foster care. Yeah.
0: How did that go? Uh,
1: It was weird. Um quick and weird Um, they had for whatever reason one of my brothers went to a courthouse in San Diego about an hour and a half away we were up uh, in the Inland Empire area and they saw her and um, was like hey you know you want to come up and see me you know for the day or whatever I don't know the situation was they didn't actually tell me the conversation i'm just speculating <laughs> i think it's a pretty decent guess um i'm like hey you're homeless you want a donut i did someone told me one of them told me they gave her a donut uh and brought her up and it was fucked up and they had a little bit of guilt for this for a while because she came up and she was like oh my god i miss you i'm so sorry and i'm like yeah cool i, I love you too uh can I have a dollar and because i didn't know anything about what she was doing or going through. I just asked for a dollar because I wanted a dollar to rent a video game at the video store. Mm -hmm. And uh, she gave me a dollar and then said, okay, she had to go. And then that was it.
0: That was the last you saw her? Mm Mm-hmm. Still to this day?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Because she's passed now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens after your dad takes you back to foster care?
1: Um, well, I went to foster care. And then I was put in that holding facility for a couple of days again. And then I was put into a, a group home. And I liked it there. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was there for like six months. And so, since it wasn't a family environment, it caters to trying to keep the kids relatively comfortable and happy versus uh, family doing it, I guess. So, it's like prescribed. We go to the park once a week. We go to somewhere once a week. Uh, we go to school. There's always someone who makes a nice dinner, some staff lady in the evenings. It was all women except for one dude in the morning that took us to school, and they were all very nice. They're all really sweet women. And
0: how many kids were in the group home?
1: Six. And and they're pretty good. I, I we we're friends like all of them.
0: Where, do you remember where you were with all of this as far as feeling abandoned or unloved or any of that? Was that starting to build up in you or?
1: I was worried most that I would have to fail a grade because I had been moved to so many schools in such a short time mm. that I would be held back a grade.
2: Mm.
1: That was, um, that was highly concerning for me.
0: Were you held back?
1: No. No. No, my dad ended up writing a letter to another school <clears throat> explaining the situation, and they just passed me. Mm. I had missed half the school year, and I had been to so many different schools, and they had just, just passed me. Whatever he said worked, so they just they just passed me. And that was nice.
0: Or did you go after the group home?
1: To a short-term home. Or a long-term home, and I was very, uh, was very unhappy there.
0: Long-term I, means a family, or
1: yeah, it's a family home that is designed to uh, keep kids for a while, more than just like, um, excuse me, more than just like. There's no prospect of of a family member coming to get you, or being adopted out or anything. So, you were for all intents and purposes, probably going to be there until you're 18. And that was not my my favorite place. How come? They were very strictly religious, but I felt like there was a lot of hypocrisy to it. Um, And it it just, the place made me feel uncomfortable. Um,
0: Were there other kids there?
1: They would say that, yeah, there was four other kids plus one of their own. And they they would, uh, and I didn't really get along with um, everyone there. It was very, like, a contentious one-upsmanship environment amongst the children and always trying to prove who's, like, the best-behaved kid or whatever.
2: And how
0: old are you in this home?
1: Uh, 12. And...
0: Uh, so when you're in a house like that where it's not comfortable and you don't feel like you should be there, do you have a voice to say...
1: A little bit, um, An not advocate, too much.
2: I'm sorry.
1: You have your social worker that's assigned to you by the state.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and I told her repeatedly that I didn't like it there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they wanted me to keep trying it out. And, um, uh, eventually the situation just kind of, kind of broke and they let me go and they moved me to another foster home. Um, so that was, that was nice. What was the
0: next one like?
1: Uh, that one, I was there from like 12 and a half to when I graduated high school. That was a really, really good place, and I was very lucky to be there.
0: Group or a family yeah. home?
1: It was a family home. How many kids? Uh, one other foster kid, and then there was like this family friend kid that was always there because uh, of someone. The foster mom was friends with this other lady, And her son would come over all the time.
0: How were you developing your identity at this point? Because for children... I was not. You weren't, okay.
1: There was no identity. Hmm. There was no social skill development. There was... You know, I was very behind socially. I didn't know how to act around women. I was obviously the same age as everyone else and the same grade as everyone else. So I didn't understand then how far behind I was socially uh, I didn't have very good social skills it wasn't good talking to people too much um, I was still very much like a little kid
2: mm-hmm. well
1: you know while in 8th grade there was like people dating and kissing and people doing sports and you know all these people and I just um,
0: did you do sports at all?
1: Uh, I did a little bit of martial arts when I was living with my parents and then a little um uh baseball for six months when I was actually in that short term or that one home that I didn't like
2: mm. they, were you a
1: little
0: guy because you're you know you're a solid guy now uh
1: you mean as a kid mm-hmm. I was like small no mm-hmm. I, was, I was pretty chubby I was mm. a chubby kid mm-hmm. I didn't really turn into this until uh, I was like eighteen
2: mm. mm-hmm
1: I was a late bloomer.
0: Me too. When you hit 18, what happened?
1: Uh, I went to... I was accepted to San Diego State uh, based off of grades. SAT, kind of. I had 1,100 back when it was like 1,600 was max, so that was pretty good. And um, And then the foster care thing. So I had half scholarships and grants and half loans.
0: Oh, so they give scholarships to foster kids?
1: Yeah. That's great. Yeah, if you get accepted to a college, uh, primarily through FAFSA. So FAFSA, Financial Aid Federal Scholarship works for me
0: <laughs>
1: i'm pretty sure that's not what it means but um, we'll get
0: the acronym sorted later
1: yeah but in fafsa you go to college you always apply for fafsa Every, every all colleges have a fafsa office mm. and um
0: what did you want to study at the time i was
1: majoring in computer science and drugs
0: what kind of drugs
1: uh all of them
0: did you have a fave
1: Anyone I could get, yeah, it's pretty much at that point in my life. Um, uh, I was, it was obvious I was smoking a lot of weed, and I did a lot of uh, not weed, like, like the opposite of weed,
0: like heroin, like meth- no, meth. no,
1: no, 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 just a lot of powders,
0: cocaine,s and things.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of powdery things. Is there
0: more than one powdery thing? Cocaine and.
1: Uh, crystal meth.
0: Crystal meth is that a, okay? I wasn't sure yeah. if you smoke that or wait. You no, you
1: back. can actually smoke that, or shoot it up, or oh. snort it. It's really versatile. Yeah, it's versatile. I think it's really underappreciated. I feel like the I'm
0: PR people on meth have not been getting the word out.
1: because most people who do take meth and there's a lot of people currently prescribed meth. Right? Is you could swallow it. So yeah. you know, there's four different methods of injection ingestion for that.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, they should lead with that.
1: Most popularly, <laughs> it's swallowed. <laughs> But they don't sell it as meth. They always give it a clever scientific name. Like Adderall. Like Adderall or something like that. Yeah. uh, But a little known fun fact about meth is uh, it was the most widely prescribed drug in the 70s. It was for over 30 different clinical disorders.
0: Mm. Yeah. I was a quote-unquote hyperactive child and the doctors wanted to put me on Adderall and my mother refused Hmm. them. They said nope. Which I mean, thankfully, she... Yeah,
1: that's really nice of her. Yeah. They, um... That i'm pretty sure that that is where the whole uh just take a pill to cure it kind of mentality mm-hmm. came from
0: mm-hmm. leftovers from, from the 50s probably and
1: well yeah it was well it was culture. meth because meth was just during during the mid mid to late 60s mm. it was prescribed all over the place mother's and,
0: little helper it was called
1: mm, yeah and then they, then they changed it in the seventies and eighties and became uh, a, a slightly watered down version of it. And those were called diet pills. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: what were they, they all had like, Fenfen. F- fen. fen, fen. they all fen, had fen. F- f- words.
1: Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of that. There was, um, cause it was from ephedrine mm. and ephedrine was, was in a lot of shit. It yeah. was in,
0: uh, what did you like about it?
1: That you you just have endless energy. That's Mm -hmm. probably what everyone likes about it. Okay. That's what, you know... Where were you getting the money to pay for it? Did you have a job? Yeah, I was working.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you go to school, go to college. And I
1: dropped out because I had just stopped going, basically.
0: You weren't into it. So
1: I went for like, you know, three months of first semester and a couple days of the second semester. And then, then I had to... Then I got booted and they made me repay all my... Oh, fuck. Scholarship and loan money. How'd that go? Uh, I qualified for a very highly rated top secret program in the military, and they gave me lots of bonuses, and I used all of those to pay all that off.
0: When did you decide to join the military? That's sort of jumping. Let's jump to that. You drop out of college. You are taking drugs.
1: This was about a year later.
0: (laughs) A year later? Were you Mm -hmm. taking drugs So when you decided to go into the military?
1: No. No, what made you quit then? Why did like you, you stop? was like on a one-year stint. Okay. You know, that's pretty short for a drug addict. I would I say think.
0: that's short, yeah. That's what, not did, bad. did it just placate what needed to be placated, or did you just, did you make a conscious effort like, I want to join the military, therefore I, th- I have to be sober?
1: No, no, definitely not that. I think it was just, uh, <laughs> well, it was a mix of things. One was girl. Two was. Mm, girl. Uh, n- not being involved with the same people that helped get me involved in that s- section of life. Mm-hmm. So, that was was probably a good thing.
0: Why military?
1: Because I knew that I needed to do something with my life. And I had failed college. So...
0: Had you been arrested at all?
1: No. (laughs) No, I have not. Okay. I was a good boy.
0: (laughs) Well, you're smarter than the average bear, my guess is... I
1: didn't get caught for anything. You didn't get caught, exactly. I didn't get caught for anything. There's a couple of few couple of close calls uh
0: how did you pick the military's tickets. branch that you went into? i was most
1: familiar with the navy my foster dad was uh also in the navy so between my father him hmm. it was the one i was most familiar with
0: and you went into the nuclear program yeah that's awesome
1: yeah it was pretty cool did uh, they throw
0: you in a sub and sink you under the water for a while no or? i was in a carrier oh okay
1: uh, I didn't want to go. My father was on submarines, so mm. I've done a lot of cruises and stuff. I understood what it was like, and I didn't know what an aircraft carrier would be like. So, How long
0: did you serve?
1: Uh, just three years.
0: Now, I remember when we met and we had that long conversation uh, during the party. Um, We talked about the concept of thank you for your service. And I've asked other military people about this before because I've read all these articles where where people say, don't thank me for my for my service. It makes me uncomfortable. And you seem to kind of have that.
1: I think I think thanking you for your service is a very. All right. So it's a balance, right? Because we should never treat people how they're treated when they come back from Vietnam. Regardless, I understand there was a lot of fucking crazy shit that happened in Vietnam or whatever, and I wasn't there, but people do some crazy shit when they're under stress. And there's no stress like the stress that you read about that happened over there. And when they came back, these guys needed support. They needed some fucking... They Absolutely. Needed, they needed a lot of shit. A
0: lot of stuff, yeah.
1: And As I do
0: all, I, I don't know.
1: And that's the other side of it, is everybody needs some support. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine what a day is like being a bus driver in L.A.? Hmm. <laughs> It's just just nuts. So
0: I mean, everybody in the military. But I get what you're saying with oh, that too. Yeah, yeah, everybody.
1: Every because we I mean, we
0: put people through, and I've mentioned this before for people that have listened to this podcast for a while, is that you know we we put people through a boot camp to prepare them for military service, but we don't unboot camp them. We don't put them through a program right. that helps deprogram all the programming.
1: Right, and which is
0: grossly unfair.
1: And the whole so and if you think about it um, in a logical sort of manner. The military is meant to protect the people and the people are giving the military a purpose. So there should be that co-equal thinking. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like without, like say if you had a society of just a military, how dumb would that be? Like fascinating though, you know, (laughs) like otherwise, but you would have, um, you, you would have nothing to do. There'd Mm -hmm. be nothing to do. It's Mm -hmm. just one big military. What are we protecting? Nothing. Ourselves, right? You'd
0: have to... Mili- there'd be a military within the military because it would go awry, I'm sure. There's got to yeah. be a dystopian novel about that somewhere.
1: Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. yeah. It so might be it, on one of these shelves. So <laughs> so for people to thank me, um, it's uh, it's nice, I guess, uh, but you don't thank anyone else for their service. It's not commonplace in the society to... I
0: like be- to thank teachers. When I hear that someone's a teacher, I say thank you for your service, because I, mean, I think that's a hell of a job.
1: But, uh, yeah, I completely agree. But, but it's that phrase. Yeah. That phrase, thank sure. you for your service.
0: Right.
1: Everyone is providing Makes sense. a service that is essential. Mm. Whether you're the trash guy, the mailman, someone making food, everyone is providing an essential service. Everyone deserves the phrase, thank you for your service.
2: Mm.
1: Yet, I'm the only one to receive that phrase and i believe that i should receive that phrase for a lot of other things that i've done in my life that i don't get that phrase for (laughs) Mm. so it's a weird um it's a weird thing Mm. you know maybe thank you for surviving your childhood and not becoming (laughs) a raging criminal yeah or you know
0: i'll get in that line
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know or thank you for just being a decent guy Mm. uh you know
0: here's your award for not raping anyone yeah congratulations yeah
1: thank you for not raping people that's be nice yeah. that'd be nice um uh, i yeah.
0: think they are starting to give out that award actually But i
1: think they are <laughs> <laughs> uh it's yeah so how I've,
0: long did you serve
1: uh three years
0: did you did you go to any conflict
1: yes i was uh i was uh on the first wave of combatants that uh Uh, retaliated after
2: 9-11
1: so my ship was the first one there how does our battle group was the first one to launch attacks
0: Mm. how does a person who i'm guessing has bottled up some rage has got some issues from childhood then channel that in a healthy manner while serving and being in service like that Cause well, did anything come up at all? I mean, it's on a carrier, you're not doing hand to hand, or you're not in a right. battlefield, so it's it gets a little different. But
1: uh. Uh, yeah, it's very. My job is very intellectual. Mm. Um, so while everyone else was doing that, I was studying physics. Mm. Lots and lots of physics.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That was my job: studying physics.
0: Did they send you to school then while... How does that work? No, because no, I was in
1: two years of school before. Okay. Two years of school. So that was my school. So... And they gave me a, a military bachelor's equivalent.
0: Got it. All right. Because I figured you wouldn't be able to do what you have done without some sort of an education that I assumed the military would take care of. Yeah.
1: They okay. gave me a very, very good education of which... I, uh, and they also taught me discipline that I was not allowing myself to achieve. So you're talking about like, you know that rage or whatever um they helped me shape myself to control more of my impulsive nature because i obviously wasn't able to do that on my own so that was nice Mm. i'm very thankful for them for that the navy is a is a pretty pretty solid organization as a whole um they regularly do volunteer activities so if you're not at war than all the port calls that they do around the world. There's, like, bunches of sign-up lists all over the place to do volunteer stuff, like painting a school or... I didn't know that. Yeah, you could go paint a school, and then you always hear from, like, the older sailors, like, yeah, if you really want to get into the culture, go volunteer some local thing, and then, like, some family will invite you back to their place to eat, and, you know, you get a home-cooked meal from some country that you, you know, really need. So there's a lot of opportunities like that, in addition to just, like... Being a drunken sailor in a port call
0: did you do a lot of those opportunities no no
1: they were all full when i found mm.
0: out about them. okay
1: so that's a good problem mm-hmm. uh but there was like three different ones i tried to sign up for and they were all full
0: mm. it's neat that the, i wonder if that's true of every branch or just i mean obviously in the navy you go from port to port but there's also marines and and that's the
1: big thing is since we're going we're port to port you know if you're if you're in any of the other branches of military you're in a stationary base out in the middle of nowhere far from a city and in general you're not in a um overly friendly environment to where you get to go Mm.
2: do things that's why they
1: have like they have a different rotation schedule than we do Mm. so when they're deployed they're out for a long period of time in a solid chunk in one spot and then cut home, go home for a long, long time. They, they're not constantly in and out like Navy is.
0: Mm-hmm. Unless you're on a sub and then you're in the sub for quite a while.
1: If... No, there's two different kinds of submarines. Mm. But they have the same rotation.
0: Okay. And it's Navy Transport Marine? Is that how that works? Yes. Okay. So you would be on ships, and there'd be Marines as, as well as.
1: Well, I was not on a Marine transport ship.
0: So those are all different. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is stuff I just don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know where I could talk too much about this, so I'm a No, little, you're fine.
0: I get it. A little, little cagey about it. Yeah, okay, yeah. I get I, that. I
1: don't want to say anything I'm not allowed to say. That
0: makes total sense. Absolutely. Um, what happens when you get out of the Navy? Um. Do you know what you want to do at that point? It's a very no. specialized skill you have. You and Liam Neeson.
1: <laughs> yeah. I do have a particular set of skills. My Liam Neeson impression is not on point. That's that. all right. So, uh...
0: You look just like him.
1: Oh, yeah. I get told that all the time. Actually, I was told once I would look like, a, like an Asian, Asian Jason Statham, which I thought was really flattering.
0: Oh, that's a nice compliment.
1: Yeah. And I feel like oh, I could do pretty good Jason Statham, so... That's excellent. Thank you. And so that was a really weird time because I did not get out honorably from the Navy. How come? Uh, I smoked weed. Oh, shit. And many people get a second chance for that, but in my particular field, uh, there is no second chances for that. So, get out. Bummer. But I have a bachelor's degree in particle stuff, you know? I know what the particles do.
2: Particle stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I knew I had a future just wasn't going to be with the navy. So I received an other than honorable discharge, which is not dishonorable, it's not honorable. It's a weird in-between world where people go when they're not necessarily good but they're not necessarily bad.
0: Mm, purgatory. And, yeah, military purgatory, sure.
1: Military purgatory. And uh, and I hope they change that with this whole legalization thing cuz maybe when weed is legal
0: Mm, I don't think so.
1: Then maybe... I'd be shocked
0: if the military gave allowance for...
1: No, and they probably won't retroactively change it, which is weird, which is another weird, fun topic on the so- sociology of legality versus morality mm-hmm. and the timeliness of it. Because, like, how could someone commit a crime three months ago that is not a crime today? hmm You know what it's I mean? That's
0: a very good question.
1: So is he a criminal because he willingly broke a law or is he an innocent person who's doing something that should never have been illegal you know right and uh, and I'd say the latter because there's a lot of super wealthy families that made a lot of money during prohibition that were all allowed to keep their money so you know hey I think is, is something that shouldn't have been made a law, but mm. that's kind of a tangential
0: <laughs>
1: conversation. We
0: welcome that here at Hey Human.
1: You know, <laughs> what the, did
0: what did you decide to do with all that uh, knowledge?
1: So I got to work for one of the biggest oil companies in the world, being a Crisco.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, the, I was just reading an article <laughs> on Crisco. Did you know that's cottonseed oil? Hydrogenated cottonseed oil.
0: I don't know that I did, no.
1: Invented in the late 1800s because there was a lot of cottonseed oil waste that that was not sold for cooking because it had a strong smell and bad color. But once they figured out the hydrogenation process and solidified it at room temperature and deodorized it, then they marketed it as an alternative to fat pig lard. And that was fun to know. Genius. And they also, the thing was to not market it as cottonseed oil, but to just market it as Crisco. And their tagline in the early 1900s was made from 100% Crisco.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: And so it f- sold like wildfire.
0: That's incredible. Did you know Alka Seltzer? You only actually need one, but they, the, the, I think it was a woman that came up with the plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and they realized that they could sell twice as much because of the the double the... that you actually only need one. They're like, it's yeah. genius!
1: <laughs> and those little pods for your washers and your...
0: Yeah, Tide Pods.
1: Yeah, that's probably ten times more detergent than any machine needs.
0: Yeah, I hardly use any detergent in my laundry. Yeah, I use Just this a much. tiny, tiny bit. This
1: much, I always use powders. Yeah,
0: same with pow- shampoo. We don't need half the crap we think we need. You the probably don't need though, any shampoo because you're I, Jason. I've got to take
1: care of my, my scalp. scalp. Well,
0: yeah. my lotion it up, yeah, I guess. It,
1: well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea how. I'm very lucky for my scalp care because it's not like something I've studied. But yeah. I've continually used soap, shampoos, and lotions. And, uh, and I like my scalp. I look at it all the time. You do? Yeah. From the inside.
0: I understand. <laughs> How was it, it going to work for the oil company? What did you do for them?
1: I operated a uh, loading facility for big old tanker trucks.
0: And how old are you at this point?
1: 22.
0: Okay. So, so you stuck I, around there for a while?
1: I was there for like a year and a half.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, are you aimless? Are you?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty aimless. Like, I've got this great education, and I've got these great skills, and I've got this drive to succeed but I don't know really what I want to do I really want to take it easy that's really what I wanted to do at that point in my life I didn't want to work hard I felt uh, very entitled to an easier life because I had been through so much up to this point I had been fighting way more than the average person I would say mm. and uh And looking back, I know that that's what I was feeling. I was just, I was done with fighting to survive. So, um, you know, that was part of the Navy thing. I really enjoyed it when I was in it, you know? I was really not that excited about the war thing. That kind of changed my whole thing. That's why I kind of stopped. Uh, being into it. Um... So that I mean it's it's a very tough thing and some people are in this country are gonna hate me for that, and some people are gonna love me for it. I just um uh, my daughter was born during the war, and I was oh not excited to be on this crazy war rotation Were you married? schedule Were you dating well, yeah I was married
0: that? who did um, you marry now you skipped that one
1: <laughs> you didn't ask me that oh actually. okay we have to like I'm right. only responding that's not true because then I wouldn't talk about cottonseed oil.
0: (laughs) Tell me who you married.
1: There is a lot of details that we have to skip over because we have to progress in the story.
0: I get it. Sure. But I am curious.
1: I married this girl when uh, I was 19. I met her when I was 18, a couple months after I was 18. And um, she was actually dating my roommate at the time. And, And then one night I was chilling with her and her friend and they both... Uh, approached me and expressed their interest in me
0: threesome uh you know kind of or dating
1: yeah they just both wanted to date me okay um i ended up having a threesome with her friend (laughs) which is another story and i had a threesome with the other girl on a later partner life which is another story
0: you are good at math though so we can get there if you want to thank you so much thank you I've got six people I think but there's only it's six people but it's
1: really four people um, it wasn't I mean at that point it was a different different thing but it wasn't anything I was looking for it's not anything I was trying to aim for it was just you know and I wasn't trying to steal my roommate's girlfriend but she approached me and Mm -hmm. said she was interested in me and that she really didn't like being with him it wasn't what she thought it was going to be because they were like childhood friends that didn't see each other for 10 years and and then saw each other again and then it worked out for like a month and he was like um we're gonna get married and all that and and she was like yeah i don't want any of that and
0: so then you came along
1: i so she realized um yeah
0: and you started dating her and they got we
1: started dating her and after about 15 mm-hmm. months we got married uh right 15 uh, months
0: because she got pregnant or, <coughs> or, or i mean you got married because you got pregnant or you got married and no, then no. you got pregnant
1: no no yeah she was pregnant later okay um we got married because i was joining the navy
2: mm-hmm.
1: so she w- the recruiter's like hey because she came in with me one day she was like hey if you get a house or if you get married they'll give you a house and i'm like what okay, Um, because the plan was I'd finish my schooling, visit during my in-between-the-school times, and then if we're still together after I get out of the Navy, then we'll get married. And uh, they offered us a house. And so we get into the car, and I'm like, so, you want to get married? She's like, yeah. So, we got married. She wanted out of her life as much as I wanted to begin one, Mm -hmm. so. um, How long were you married? 12 years.
0: That's a good run.
1: A little over 12 years. How was it? Uh, It was really up and down, really high highs, some pretty shitty lows. Uh, You take two kids that were pretty fucked up, make them adults. And then give them a world of responsibilities. And
0: How many kids did you have with her? Uh, two. Mm-hmm. Two kids with her. So are you close with your kids?
1: i decently close with them now. Um, not too close, but we talk mm-hmm. uh, once or twice a month. So not as often as I'd like. Um, so these are different than
0: the son I met? Yes. Okay.
1: The son you met was a uh, uh, girl I was dating while I was a senior in high school.
0: Oh, wow, okay. Yeah,
1: and then she got You pregnant. have potent
0: sperm, my friend.
1: Thank you so much. You're, I, very,
0: you're so welcome.
1: I get that compliment a lot. Mm. Um, if only I had a nickel forever. That's every what
0: Crisco's right made out of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hydrogenated Tony Sperm. That'd be so gross. <laughs> On your
0: shelves now.
1: <laughs> Super salty. <laughs> Sometimes it tastes like strawberries. Because <laughs> uh, I eat a lot of strawberries. Yeah, well. Anyways.
0: Absolutely, citrus is. A I've
1: never actually tasted it, so I don't know if that. Do oh, you know that rumor is everywhere. I wonder.
0: I wonder if if I could ejaculate if I would taste it. I feel like I probably would. I, I mean, feel like I would taste it.
1: I mean, like
0: so my curiosity would drive me there.
1: You know, it's it's an interesting thing, um, but you, yeah, I've never tasted my own sperm. Okay. But there's that rumor that if you eat a lot of fruit, like pineapples, or well, whatever, that's
0: not a rumor. That's just fact. It's true. Absolutely.
1: It totally For is. For men I,
0: or women, if you eat citrus fruits, pineapples I've never teres.
1: tasted a pineapple vagina.
0: Well not you won't taste like the the fruit itself, but it sweetens up the excretions.
1: Yeah, Stay mean, hydrated,
0: lots of water. I
1: feel like I am a pretty decent vagina liquor. Oh Lord. <laughs> and I've never tasted like different flavors it makes it food. sweeter
0: it, it not not that you'll be like oh this the this this is- <laughs> like schnozberries you're not gonna do that <laughs> but it will it'll sweeten up your secretions because of the the acid and by the a pineapple. decent
1: vagina liquor i don't mean like my ability but on the, the that you the do it times more than, of, yeah i understand the times of licking
0: yes so <laughs> there'll be an award waiting for you at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the interview we'll have i'll we'll have someone type that out for you
1: right next to my Thank you for not raping people. Yeah. Afterward.
0: Yes. Exactly.
1: <laughs> my <I'm> highly
0: highly <laughs> you rated <see>? guy.
1: <laughs> Another thing, though, uh, yeah. that I would like to have been thanked for my service.
0: <laughs> vagina licking.
1: Yeah. It just you know. I, I think I don't know
0: why vagina licking sounds so grotesque and cunnilingus sounds so much. It sounds like Italian. Because it's Latin. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah it's a Latin
0: thing. So much faster.
1: You know. Getting so, better. but yeah. I, you know.
0: Going downtown.
1: Well, there's so many I don't like. S- I don't like euphemisms Spending like that. time
0: in Texas. How's Florida treating you? Never
1: heard of any of those. <laughs>
0: like, There's a lot you just of state-oriented sexual
1: innuendos. <laughs> 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 Travel down the Mississippi River lately. That's, that's you know, right. I think the,
0: that might be the butt, the that's butt stuff.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Why wouldn't it be?
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Um, All right.
0: You are married. You're 12 years together. You have two children. You get a divorce. Are you in San Diego at this point?
1: When? When I got out of the Navy?
0: No, when you get out of your marriage. Yes. Okay.
1: When I'm out of my marriage, I had, uh, I had, uh, yeah, just um, moved back to San Diego, as a matter of fact. Is this
0: around the time you meet Lauren?
1: No, that'd be so weird. I wouldn't do that. What do you mean? To, to date someone right after a divorce. A
0: lot okay. of people do that.
1: I know, I did it too.
0: Mm, but did no, you, it wasn't with Lauren. When did you start? Cause <laughs> she said that you started doing stand-up. When did you start doing that?
1: I started doing stand-up in... August of 2010. How long after that, your divorce then? remember that, like it was in August of 2010.
0: Yeah. How long after? like were uh, you? You were in uh, 10 months? 10 months, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Ten, 10 months after that.
0: Was that your healing mechanism or just it was No, because you I started stand
1: up before I was divorced. Oh, okay. So it's not like. And I found my love for it and my passion for that particular art form then. So Mm -hmm. I don't, uh, it was there and it helped Mm -hmm. me, uh, when I was going through my divorce, but it wasn't like, um, there was no conditional aspect to my entertainment career. Mm -hmm. There was nothing conditional about it. I found it. I loved it. I did it. Mm. And what didn't cause my divorce didn't help me get over my divorce.
0: Okay.
1: It helped me meet other girls. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's.
0: Well, that's how you met.
1: That's how I met Lauren. I met her uh, two and a half years... uh, No, one and a half years after my divorce.
0: Okay. And you... uh, Did you know who you were at that point? Did did
2: Tony figure out... I had
1: just started finding it out. Mm. Because after not knowing, basically... Then I I slam into the military identity very hard. And then between that and my marriage identity... Because there's only us. There's no individual kind of thing which is really great and romantic but at the same time we're so young we grew together and then when we started growing apart there was nothing uh there was nothing there there was nothing there um during the divorce i remember my ex-wife telling me a line which i'll never forget because it helped catalyze a lot of this um but i was begging her not to leave me and and i said i loved you and she's like you don't know what love is And that's something that's like a phrase that you would hear in a movie or a story or something like that, or a song, or, you know, not everyday conversation. But that really stuck with me because that was so true. I didn't know what love was. I was 30 years old and no idea what love was, at least not the kind of like true love. You know, I love my life, I love my comfort you know i like not having i love not having to worry about what my next year was going to look like because of whatever i don't know but i i didn't know so that was along with my self-identity was identifying that because uh shortly what, what really catalyzed it honestly it wasn't when she said it that it hit me it was the first girl i dated uh and after about
0: post-divorce
1: yeah Well, we weren't like on paper divorce, but she had said it, so that's when I consider my divorce. Whenever the paper signing was, is paper signing. Um, But about a month later, I was dating this one girl, met her at a comedy club. She was a waitress there, and really, really gorgeous young girl, and I was just super stoked by the situation. And uh, after one night of making out in her car for 30 minutes, the next day I told her I loved her. And she was like, I can never love you. And I was like, fuck, what, what, what did I do that? Like, you know, obviously I was like really hurt from the divorce. Mm.
2: uh,
1: And I was really just looking for something, whatever it is, companionship or lack of boredom or, you know, I don't know, but I still couldn't identify why I said that. So obviously I didn't know what love was. And that really helped me dig into myself. So from then I had a very strict no monogamous relationship clause, so that way I couldn't attach to anybody. And um, but I could still date and because I really like I like dating. I think like a lot of people are like, oh, I, I hate dating. I like it. I like the aspect of, like you, getting to know a lot of different people, whatever their stories are, whatever their backgrounds are, their habits, their favorite restaurants, whatever it is. I really thought that's a lot of fun.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so, uh, that was my my period of self discovery. I suppose it's that first year after the divorce.
2: Then
0: what?
1: Then I. Uh, Was really entrenched in stand-up comedy at that time. Um, I had a quarter of a house. Goodness. Oh, yeah. That's That's directly overhead, huh? Oh, maybe. Pausing. Can you edit this together? Yeah. All right, cool. That
0: was really loud.
1: You're so talented.
0: Huh? you know. (laughs) It was all I could do not to make the non-monogamous clause joke, like Santa Claus and the Christmas time, non-monogamous clause. I
1: I think you should have thrown that in there really, (laughs) really, really much. I think it's really interesting. A lot of people are kind of put off by like uh, the idea of, of, uh, of a polyamory. But if you've ever dated or even been interested in more than one person at a time, you're a polyamorous person or you have exemplary. or
0: ethical non-monogamous they're, they're different right because polyamory I've interviewed polyamory people in that culture and, oh
1: yeah that's kind of like said, religious bound or whatever well,
0: yeah, well there's just there's structural right. integrities to every and some people self-identify with whatever they say. They I really
1: like that, that phrase though ethical non-monogamous mm-hmm. that's really that's really like as soon as you said that the bell went off I thought, yeah I thought that's nice uh, yeah Ethical, non. In
0: other words, you're.
1: you're, E N M.
0: You're, open and honest, and you are forthright, and people get to decide if they want to be in that situation or not. Right, because everyone's
1: adults and can consent to their own idea. And you keep
0: everyone's safety in consideration, and you know all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, Wow. wow, Yeah, I like it. Cool. Learn something new.
0: Hey, that's what we're here for. Thanks. It's It's a learning. Learning is caring, I hope or is it sharing? Is caring?
1: That that's uh, that is my goal every day. <laughs> so um, after about a year, after my divorce, a year later, uh, I was staying in my house. That was like a quarter of my house that we'd gotten through an inheritance that she actually got from a really, really other fucking complicated situation. This is, <laughs> but
0: who who inherited a my house? my ex-wife? Okay.
1: Uh, but since we were together, you know, yeah. it was ours.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but we only had quarter of the stake, and I gave my ex-wife everything in the divorce. Uh, kids, we had two cars. Her car, I gave her the house, everything, because she didn't come with me from San Diego, which was the the original deal. But she decided not to come. That was how I found out. So, um,
0: so you're dating?
1: So that you house was people. was sold. Uh, by the uncle who had the controlling share mm-hmm. gave her her portion and I was laid off and uh, and a couple of girlfriends broke up with me or it just went away whatever um, all at the same time so uh, so I had a lot of weed and I had a lot of weed and I decided I was going to go live in my truck on the beach. That's where I found myself. That is where I came to really appreciate where I was in life. Um, And it was all put together, honestly, by a girl. Um, Girls have saved my life so many times. But uh, I was laying in my truck, had my front driver's seat down, and I was reading a book. And I was smoking a joint, my feet up on the dash, and I was, like, parked on the beach.
0: And what year is this?
1: 2012. Okay. Summer of 2012. And uh, and these four girls on horseback trot right by me. And one of them stopped and looked in the window and gave me this really big smile. And i don't know if it's because it was with like like a decent looking guy with a book kind of thing that she was just taken with or something he reads oh my god like i can't believe it this is a reader and he's in there oh
0: he's got a certificate that says he doesn't rape people yeah this
1: is the perfect one and that look is that a
0: pineapple on the (laughs) dashboard holy shit
2: (laughs) (laughs) we struck gold girls
1: i hope he ate that recently (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is this is the one. This tastes like pineapple. So um that look changed my life. It here I am, uh basically doing what other people in the world would pay like a ten thousand dollar family trip or some sort of destination vacation for to sit on the beach smoking weed, reading a book, uh, and getting stared at by some girl on a horseback you know it's like a super that section of time is a, can you can base an entire romance novel off of that moment and that's why I learned to have gratitude and be happy like it was just an amazing amazing moment um, I, the secret of happiness was embracing what i have been through versus letting it hinder me and that changed my whole entire existence
0: did you talk to the girl nope hmm what was it in her smile that triggered that cascade of self understanding
1: it it was definitely it was a sexy smile
2: Mm -hmm.
1: it wasn't like like i'm smiling at a guy laying in his truck smile you know it was it was like,
2: flirtatious. It huh? was It was
1: a flirty smile. Sure. It was, it was something in there.
0: Did you stay and on the beach? Did you stay living in your car?
1: I lived in my car on the beach uh, or various locations for like four months. Okay. And then uh, another stand-up comedy guy um, was... Uh, he heard of my situation and insisted I move in with him and work with him because he ran a dispensary. So... I ran a dispensary. This and is
0: pre legalization, is it not? In 2012? No, no, no. It was medically Oh med- medical.
1: Medically legal, yeah. Got it. So it was I was uh I was doing deliveries and that was crazy. And then I started working in a hydroponics shop and that was crazy. Hmm. Um, was, I learned a lot. And through that I learned my love for plants. You know? Uh, I, I just Really came to appreciate the amount of different kinds of flowering plants that were in San Diego County. It was a really
0: in general or marijuana? Yeah, just style. in general. Okay. It's
1: just because of like through that after, you know, growing and doing doing that life cycle, uh, you know, I was a I was a farmer, quote unquote, and through that experience, it helped me appreciate the cycle of life of plants, and I love flowering plants. They're just the, all the flowers in San Diego. There's so many. So pretty. It's
0: a really pretty city.
1: Um, and that was one of the things I missed all the years that I was gone. I was gone from San Diego for like uh, 11 years, 12 years. So the length of time of my marriage, basically.
0: What were you living during that time?
1: During my marriage, I had lived in uh, from Chicago where boot camp was from kansas city to chicago to south carolina to washington to kansas city to minnesota back to kansas city then to san diego
0: some skills you got as a foster kid being able to adapt like that for sure
1: yeah i got to see a lot of different you know there's a lot of of little subculture in america it's really (laughs) nice to be able to witness it
0: when did you meet lauren were you still in your truck or were you at the new guy's house?
1: No, I was living in that house at that time. Uh, so, fall of 2012.
0: Now, I know that she described it in a certain way. How would you describe your relationship in the beginning?
1: The relationship? Just how you, or the you know, meeting?
0: the meeting and how you interacted with each other. Well, the
1: first time I met her, I was like, oh, well, there's, there's a lesbian girl. Probably not going to date her. She was with a girl who was very, very butch. Uh, I don't know why I said two varies. She's butch. Um, There's
0: probably a sliding scale of butchness. There's yeah. a sliding scale of all things. So
1: <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she was, like, she's introduced by a friend, like, hey, this is Lauren. Hi. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. And then, um, and you were
0: running around the same scene, the comic.
1: Yeah, I was. I had. Uh, I had some pretty decent success. Uh, I was running a comedy club. I was actually helping manage a friend's comedy career, getting him booked because he had such a weird act <laughs> that what? he couldn't book himself.
0: What was the act?
1: He, amongst other things, did this really hilarious Hitler impression. Um, it was really funny, but he actually did his whole act as if he was Russian. Like, it was, the whole entire act was a character. Uh-huh. And it was pretty funny. And he made the audiences laugh, so I didn't care. He was nice to me. Helped me get a job, actually, um, uh, when I first moved to San Diego because we, had, we were one of the first people I had met. <clears throat> and um, wasn't that good at getting himself booked on things. So, actually, I met him on a Craigslist posting because I was looking for places to book myself with comedy. Mm. and for some reason, I can't remember exactly why, but we met like within weeks after I moved into San Diego.
0: Hitler seeking Jason Statham,
1: <laughs> yeah, you know it was it was weird <laughs> and he' a he was a pretty weird dude, but he was a, he was a good guy. Mm. Uh, he did he, he helped me out in a few different things, and um, he wasn't my first booking in comedy
2: mm-hmm. in San
1: Diego. I, I got my first booking before I moved to San Diego um but yeah so what I, turned I the tide oh sorry
2: no
1: no yeah no, no, i don't know i was running the comedy club and i i was helping him with his career and i was a regular at another club so you know as far as stand-up comedy it was doing pretty decently in san diego what
0: was your style of comedy
1: i like the uh, i like doing bits and impressions um like little like scenes, almost on stage, in some sort of character. Mm. Uh, looking back, I don't think I was really that good. <laughs> uh, there was a lot funnier people, <laughs> but I made the audiences laugh, and that's the job. That's what I wanted. Uh, there's nothing like that feeling. Mm. There was nothing like that feeling, and um, yeah. So I wasn't overly technically brilliant uh, at comedy as far as art some of these people have just they're master artists they're really good I just i if I had a funny thought I'd write it down and then say the funny thought and then that was it some people are like joke structure and propositions and you know commas and shit and I'm like I don't know what any of that is I don't know what any of it is I would write something down if I had a funny thought it made me laugh I was driving in my car or something like that and then I would say it in a, at an open mic. And then if it didn't land, I would determine whether or not it needed to be adjusted or if I could do something to make it funnier or just drop it all together.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: was it. All
0: After, the while, are you getting to be better friends with Lauren than on no, the way?
1: No, no, I didn't know her at all. and I, I, I talked to her for two minutes that first time. And that was it. And then we are on a SeaWorld commercial together. And then she comes up and she's like hey what's up you know how you doing and oh let me get your phone number and so she whips out her phone and gets my phone number so two months later again uh i'm at another comedy club some friends like roast birthday roast or whatever she's there and she's like hey let me let me get you a drink or whatever and then come to find out she's you know uh, mutual acquaintance because you know he was stand-up is relatively small community she's mutual acquaintance with my roommate mm. she had texted him a night we were actually doing a volunteer comedy event for uh, a weed organization like trying to legalize weed you know one of those groups and we we're doing a stand-up night for them it was like this whole thing mm. it's a whole like cool thing and we we're doing this show for this thing and um she texted him, hey, I've had just had a really bad day. You know, what's going on? And he's like, well, we're actually just doing this show. So she's like, oh my God, it's really close to me. So she walked over and uh, she she says to me that the way I was performing on stage, she just kind of felt it that night. It just kind of hit her. I think I was a rebound guy, but... Um, we we started talking after I was done off stage and we were making out and then uh and then we spent like the next several days together next few days well seven, six, seven days. I don't know. Who knows? And uh and it was great. And then um then we don't talk for like a week or two. And then I see her at an audition and she's like, Hey, <laughs> I got back with my ex-boyfriend cool uh you don't love him you don't want to be with him i'm not saying you need to be with me but if none of this was true you wouldn't let me do this and i reached up and i kissed her in the middle of the audition line and it was a nice long kiss she didn't pull away and then two days later she texted me she's like hey i broke up with my my boyfriend i was like cool well you know see you around and kind of seeing each other I was seeing other people and uh, after about a month and a half dating I didn't talk to her for like three weeks and then I went up and did a show up in Oakland for um, a weed convention mm-hmm. thing what was it called? HempCon hemp big weed convention thing <laughs> so, so silly uh, it was a lot of fun I did three hempcons and, uh, and the cool thing is they give you a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, it was a really crazy th- gig and I got back and she, she was like, um, Hey, I started seeing this guy or I saw this guy one night and I was like, what? And she's like, well, you didn't call me for three weeks. And I didn't know what was up. And I was like, uh, I felt something and I was like, okay. Um, let's uh let's let's exclusively date so that's when i stopped seeing other girls and um because i never you know never felt anything Uh, always the thing was if because i always told everyone i dated i'm not exclusive Mm. but if we're together then i promise then you know that's our time right i'm not gonna be like with you but talking to this girl texting her or whatever. So, you know, I always felt fine with it, but with her, uh, this moment, I felt really like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And then, uh, yeah.
0: How long were you two together, and then um, you started to have, mm, what I would call, I suppose, messaging, things starting to come into focus for you, your awakening? as it were. So stuff that I'm just oh, I'm you guys jumping. talked about that. Well, we talked about that at dinner that night okay. and I want to jump ahead a little bit because I wanted to establish that you two came together and anyone listening, Lauren's episode is going to come out first and then, Oh, we're in two separate episodes. You're on two separate ep- episodes. So Lauren's episode will come out first and then the following week will be your episode, this episode. And uh, so we have uh, I had her pretty much tell a lot of the story, but I really want to get to your perspective. There, yes, you, because we
1: haven't compl- collaborated. On
0: yeah, this at so, all. Yeah. right. So you are you're in San Diego, you're dating, all this stuff, and you two together decide it's time to make a, a try for Los Angeles because you're, I'm sort of speed reading through the, the storyline, but you get mm-hmm. to the point yeah. where you're like, let's go to LA. Let's was try was four and make months,
1: it, f- four months after we first kissed
0: okay so let's get to la things start there are difficult you guys are fighting things like that no oh okay then mm. let's swipe that from the record tell me yeah. about getting to la
1: um
0: it's the precursor to you having a, a sort of awakening you're sort of figuring out who you are together separate you both had childhood traumas and you're working things out with each other about what that means but
1: i felt like i was good to go mm. um I was at peace and happy and just doing whatever I wanted. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Her dad died Mm -hmm. two months after we moved to LA. That all made it very fresh for her. And this was not something she had worked out. So, that became... The thing. That became something. Mm -hmm. Became something. Um, Because immediately when she got back, she's like, what are we? Are we like together or not together or whatever because we got our insurance in the same name and i'm like i mean yeah we're we're together this is you know i'm, I'm committed to you right now we're, we're gonna make this go mm-hmm. so because uh, she was like she didn't after her after her dad died it was kind of a big hit yeah for huge
0: her. for sure we um, talked about that quite a bit but
1: that that brought up a lot of her life for both me and her because i had a lot of questions who's this guy you know
0: who's the dad
1: yeah Who is i don't know i never met him Mm -hmm. so i asked her about her whole life uh that brought up her whole life and that was pretty nuts and uh she uh she had been married for 14 years so her individualistic discovery uh got on pause because when she got married she was sure. still looking for that
0: yeah we talked about that quite a bit
1: so so she really really grasped who she was aiming to be I guess uh, what uh, about shortly you? after her divorce
0: I want to talk about you
1: though oh you will I it was pretty solid so but that's what we're that's what when our first <sighs> when you go through an enlightening experience the things that are going to hold you back will come to light so you either work through them or they'll destroy you
0: so what was yours
1: mine i don't i don't think i i i don't want to say i didn't have anything but other than like just the general underlying anger and that anger was, was just there but our fighting wasn't because of that Um, it's a very, very, yeah. So going back to my statement of if you have any underlying uncontrollable issues, it will come up. Mine was anger. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Mine, mine, I had a, a weird, deeply hidden anger that was not dealt with. So when it came time to go through what I was going through the trials of the time that surfaced very suddenly like I was this peaceful happy dude and then suddenly I was angry and I understand now what that was but then it was as much a surprise to me as anything so her um, her inability to understand herself made me mad at that time, like, a lot. Now, this anger, uh, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm very, I don't know where to, to guide this part of the conversation. I
0: get, okay, so you started, when we had dinner, the three of us had dinner, you saw, you, you both talked about your spiritual awakenings. Mm-hmm. And that it was a different process for the two of you that she said that you had, you were on an accelerated process that you started getting information and things. So I wanted to talk to you about that if you were open to it.
1: I got a lot of information.
0: Where did, was it, what did it feel? How did that, so here's this day and then here's this day. I want to hear about what was different between this day and this day that suddenly you were getting all this, what was going on?
1: I mean, I could look at your library right here and pick out 10 books that I knew everything about, everything that they were talking about, and had never read those books or anything even close to the subject matter Mm -hmm. on day previous.
0: Previous. And then the next day, suddenly, you just knew stuff.
1: And then suddenly, I just knew stuff. And everything I was reading and confirmed it.
0: Were you freaking out about that, or were you... Yeah,
1: very much. Because as I was saying during the awakening process, you... Anything, any insecurities... Anything that you're insecure about in your life, your beliefs, won't come to light. If you're really going through it. And I don't know why I went through it the way I went through it. Most of what I read doesn't happen the way it happens to me. Um, what do you
0: think triggered it?
1: Well, it was a long process, starting from when I was born. Um... Because obviously, something was put into motion a long time ago. Sure. Then a big old bump happened when I uh, managed to graduate high school. Then a big bump happened when I managed to finish a college. And then a big bump happened when I uh, had my kids, got married. And then a big bump happened when I started stand up comedy. Big, big bump. And then a big, big bump happened when I got divorced. And then the major catalyst started when I found my secret to happiness. And then after I moved to LA, things started getting really, really interesting. That's when I first started recognizing. That something was going on. That something was going on.
0: What kind of information were you getting? Just the, can you?
1: I don't know if I could talk about all of that. I mean that's that's a broad question. Um, specifically, uh, what I'm going to do with myself? Mm. Your path. Yeah. Your purpose. Uh, a little bit less on purpose because uh, you know I believe that everyone gives themselves their purpose.
0: And you had been an atheist. In combination, correct?
1: Yeah, I was very very atheist at this point.
0: And then super, suddenly, super super atheist. Yeah.
1: I was very um, surface Christian in my early 20s, you know, late teens, early 20s. Uh, you know, didn't go to church, but didn't say Lord's name in vain kind of thing. Hmm. <sighs> I started becoming atheist around mid-20s, early mid-20s. And now, I like to say, uh, I, I study everything. As, you know as much as i have time i'm a dabbler in studying i just like to study things
2: mm, mm-hmm.
1: and this uh this came
0: to light what do you where do you think you're going i'm asking you different questions i asked her because i it's think good. it's you know the perspectives of course are wildly different from
1: well know, and, and you know you don't have a pre-litten pre pre Written list of questions. Mm-hmm. So, for you to remember the 500 questions that you've asked me to this point, <laughs> that you've asked her, would be remarkable. <laughs> that's deserving of its own episode <laughs> of how you remember 500 questions right. in order.
0: Yeah. What do you think your purpose <laughs> is?
1: My purpose is to be happy.
0: Because why?
1: Because that's what everyone's purpose is to appreciate your gift of life. Mm. It's a gift you don't like it you know it's rude to reject a gift
2: why
0: do you think you and Lauren were brought together
1: <clears throat> to create a synergistic energy st- format at which that is a highly implausible situation in its formation coming from a yin and yang of two different perspectives
0: mm-hmm.
1: to see if they can coexist in harmony
0: How's it working out
1: perfectly mm-hmm. but in the beginning there was a lot of not working perfectly of the awakening and recognizing that uh, part of it was were we being forced together um, part of it was dealing with our own selves you know um, her childhood and everything really really came out really hard uh, sudden mistrust sudden um, lack of personal uh, identity all came out very quickly after her dad died then a month later this process began so um, it it sounds uh it sounds nuts but uh, the thing is is, is it is all nuts it's all super nuts and I'm so glad to be a part of it an interesting world.
0: What does sacred geometry mean to you? Everything. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Uh, sacred geometry. Well, I'm not a master at it, but there's a bunch of numbers and there's a bunch of shapes, and it's the basis of everything that is. Um, math, talking from a more technical point of view, I'd like to say scientist, scientific, but I don't think I'm a scientist. Um, Math, I believe, is the original language of everything, uh, which is even kind of based off of uh, what is it, a saying by Toth, Egyptian god. Uh, one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes one. It's a process of uh, of a lot of things, and that is an example of sacred geometry. That is the cell division inside of a growing embryo. It's the it's the Foundational mathematics that explains life. So when you take into geometry, this is just one step up from arithmetic, right?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it's uh, explaining more of the shapes and patterns and colors and things like that, uh, like uh, like the overlap of uh, cabbage leaves, or the shape of a spiral galaxy, or everything. The math is the same.
0: Fibonacci.
1: yeah the distance uh, of your index fingers to your in proportion to your palm and then that in proportion to your forearm and that in proportion to your entire arm and that in proportion to like you know what I found out um, my my hand and my nose distance is the width of my palm and that's equal to the width between my eyes yeah and the,
0: the your this part of your arm is your
1: <coughs> these it's, are it's all your, exact proportions yeah as
0: well it's your foot.
1: It's so amazing and so exact. Mm-hmm. Such a design is 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 just it's just jaw dropping. The magnitude of the perfection that it is.
0: Is that what? Excuse me. Is that what brought you back to a space where you believe in something bigger than yourself? To go from atheism to then realizing. The mathematics of the universe then to come back around and you could go either way you could say that's just the science it's, it's everything is technical and explainable and then for you to then go past that and come back to a place of sacred
1: i'm very grateful to my science background because it helps me understand uh spirituality yeah
0: this it's, it's an interesting thing to say and some they, might find that to be a conundrum <clears throat>
1: Well, yeah, because that same person probably doesn't understand the intricacies of particle physics i mean if you if I was to explain half the half of the crap of nuclear interactions with matter, that's just as you know ununderstandable to the same person um, well, but then again, there's a lot of atheist scientists out there
0: of course there is.
1: uh but there's a lot of
0: and science is New, its own religion
1: yes it sure is because I guess instead of looking at the they're looking at individual particles and physics itself is God instead of the whole mm. which is fine because you know 3000 years ago they were doing just the sun you know so they went from the medium to the tiny to the big you know whatever it's it's all, it's all the same um, so yeah I think uh, that that's all very, very, very important to me.
0: What would you tell your young self if you were to sit down next to him? So let's just say, I'm curious what you would tell your nine-year-old self, and I'm curious to know what you would tell your 16-year-old self.
1: Uh, My nine-year-old self, I would say uh, um, be brave and don't give up. And to my 16 year old self I would tell him to do a little bit less stupid shit (laughs) and don't give up
0: what would you tell your 50 year old self?
1: don't give up and congratulations on not raping anybody (laughs) thank you for your service
0: (laughs) where are you going?
1: anywhere I can Yeah. Um,
0: Because it's yeah, I
1: really love I I love the acting business. I love it more than video games. It's the other constant, right? And this is a childhood. How'd you get through it? By watching Neverending Story fifty times every time it came on.
2: Mm.
1: You know, uh, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's amazing because so many people are like that. They've gone. Th- there's various traumas that a lot of people, lots of people, have been through. Whether it's their brother incessantly picking on them, or a girl that just ripped this dude's heart out, or something. You know, somebody went through a major trauma where a story had helped them get through it, or relate, or just let them bawl and open and cry, or whatever. And um, that idea of us being bonded through stories is really really important there's so many stories that are both very similar and so vastly different and we all tie together in a way that um that's really beautiful i mean in in of itself is a story the human story is a beautiful story and uh and i'm so grateful to be a part of it in stand-up comedy i was telling my own story and my my story from my point of view Mm -hmm. As an actor, I get to tell other people's stories and their points of view. As an improviser, I get to make up stories on the spot, and just hopefully they're not shitty.
0: And as a human,
1: uh, as a human, I live the greatest story ever told. That that's the human story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's that's the one I'm living at. Yeah. Someone's gonna talk about me somewhere someday.
0: They already are. We talked about you for a good hour and a half before you got here. So, <laughs> Lauren and I did.
1: Uh, you sweet. know
0: what's interesting is the thing you just said about you know our stories and how they help each other. I Lauren and I talked about that exact same thing at the end of her episode. It's interesting that you bring it up because. It mirrors exactly what we talked about.
1: I hope I'm super close to a lot of things that she talked about because it'd it's be fascinating. so fascinating.
0: Well, I mean, you so are in weird. places and on the other, and again, I just looking. Well, like I we've mean, talked for almost two hours, so, and I would hour, love to. So it would be soon? interesting to put the two together. We but have
1: skipped so much of my life, just to let you know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's only so much we can do, but uh, you know, at, at any given time. But the thing that's interesting is I could either put them as separate episodes or if i put them together it would be a four-hour journey for the listeners that's a lot so i'm hoping that
1: (laughs) she's led a really interesting life too so
0: you both have you both have absolutely and um i appreciate you being forthright and uh telling me your story and as i said to lauren that somebody probably many people listening are going to see themselves in you and um i think that's everything that's all you know that's that's why we're all here
1: it's a very um you know being an artist is to display your vulnerability but it's hard to you know i don't consider myself an artist right now i'm not doing an artist thing i'm just you know so it's it's a really interesting thing to be this vulnerable
0: being a human being um, is an art form though oh don't God, you think yeah, so
1: much <laughs> so much so so much um
0: I appreciate you. I appreciate that you were open and that you came. Because and, and, those aren't easy stories to tell. That it's extraordinarily no, vulnerable, yeah, they were, especially as right. a man.
1: And there's so much that you can be judged from, so much in the spectrum. that, And that, that holds so much back from the true potentiality of us all, mm. is that fear of being judged. And that fear of being judged is shame for living your own life. And that shame from living your own life is because you're not grateful for what you've been through, no matter how hard it is.
0: It's a hard place to come to, though. It's hard to be grateful so for all hard. the horrible, horrible things. Yeah,
1: i got to be grateful for being beat.
0: And not everyone and I, can and get I am. there. In I'm a,
1: grateful for yeah. my time in foster care because it's taught me a compassion for everyone else. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, my God, I'm this like super whatever successful or whatever I've done through in my life. Got through college and all this stuff. Who are you? You uneducated, whatever. I have, um, there's a lot of different avenues that uh, one can have uh, a superiority complex over. And there's a lot of different avenues of which you can have compassion for one another and realize that none of us are uh, any, really any more or less important mm-hmm. than anyone else. Sometimes somebody impl- plays a role that's essential for that moment. And then somebody else plays a role that's essential for that moment. But they're not more or less important than each other.
2: Of
0: course. Unless
1: you're talking about Kirk or Picard. (laughs)
0: Uh, Picard is (laughs) obviously
1: way better than Kirk.
0: Freaking love Picard.
1: And both of them are... Kirk has his place. Yeah, Kirk has his place. He's great. He needed to be there for when he was. But obviously Janeway is better than all of them.
0: Never so, watched that one.
1: Oh, my God.
0: I know. I, this interview Judge me is now. over. Yeah, well.
1: This is over. over. Oh, yeah. Seriously? Yeah,
0: we, we can't. We, Janeway. We, we cannot love the underdog of the world until we love the underdog that is ourselves. That is. Yeah. That it starts with us always. And mm, most of us <laughs> have suffered trauma, if not. I mean, I might go out on limb and say all of us in some way or another, whether in we some, acknowledge it or not. Well,
1: in some form, yeah. And for whatever that person is going through, some is uh, very difficult for them. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like, you know, my parents just got a divorce. What am I going to do? It's like that's one aspect of the fifteen traumas I've been through. But for him, that one trauma will shape his entire Absolutely.
2: life. Yeah,
1: and it will determine everything he does from that point out it is a it is a life shaping uh moment and f- and to 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 belittle that would be nuts or we make divorce a lot less like a crazy thing cuz like i don't think it's that Ridiculous, it's, that people would grow apart after a while.
0: Yeah, it's, it's different for everybody. And, I've and been how talking old to you for you are. two
1: hours, I'm already kind of done. Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> say, it's as Ram Dass would say and has said, we're all just walking each other home. We're all doing the best we can.
1: Yeah.
2: as
0: I mean, We are artists, and our canvas is the human condition, and we're doing the best we can.
1: Yeah, so, and it's really important that we grow, yeah. and sometimes that's not with...
0: But not everybody gets to do that either, so...
1: No, I mean yeah, yeah. That's the the people whose lives are cut short. That's an interesting purpose.
0: Well, some people don't grow even with a lifetime of of life. You know, whatever that oh, means. yeah. That's what I'm I mean, saying.
1: witness to that as well.
0: Yeah, Tony. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being open. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having the show. Yeah, thank you for sweet. doing the show. <laughs> thank you for inviting me
0: let's go eat some thai food or something
1: i'm super hungry
0: i'm sure you are bye everybody thank you for listening bye thank you rate and review hey human on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts stay safe stay healthy thanks for listening